morning to you. Welcome into Monday's programme. Keith Finnegan with you till 12 midday. We're going to that whole pub situation and serving of drinks in open areas. Talk about reversing the horse and cart. Mother of God, today also we're looking and about living in the uh, city centre. How that has got to change indeed and we have to bring a little bit of life back into it. Today also we're speaking with uh, Paddy Brown indeed who donated, as you heard on uh, the uh, Connacht Tribune indeed last week. Uh, he donated part of his liver to his daughter. We're also looking at the hotel and restaurant industry and how difficult they're finding it to get staff. Today also Liam Brown joins us. We'll be hopefully joined by our new mayor, Colette Connolly as well. Today also we're going live to Mexico where one Galway family urgently needs your financial assistance. The Pathfinder program we've spoken about before has been launched. And indeed, we're looking at lifeboats on today's programme. The comment lines are open if you want to get through to us on 0917707 and 53995 today. If you do want to get in contact with us, uh, you can get uh, through to us on all of those. Now, uh, this day, three weeks, we were um, starting the programme in relation to the lifting and restrictions and the whole drink situation and eating outdoors and all of that type of stuff. And lo and behold, it seems to have fallen fall of itself. Uh, but I'm joined on the line at this stage by Porik Cribben, who joins me as uh, Chief Executive of the VFI. Uh, Porik, this seems to be a West of Ireland situation, if I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, um, because we don't hear of any issues or, or warnings being given on the East Coast or the Southern Coast, but we are hearing it on the West Coast. Is that what you're experiencing? Uh, good morning, Keith. Uh, not quite as specific as that. Um, you know, there are um, some um, spots around the country where, where we're seeing this. I think if we go back a little bit, uh, we, we've all been told for the last number of months that we were, we were looking at an outdoor summer. Uh, the public have been prepared for it and publicans have been preparing for it. Uh, not alone that, but government backed that up by giving grants. Uh, initially, they announced 17 million for those doing food and we made significant representations to them and they extended that to all pubs including those not doing food. In fairness to local authorities around the country they have uh, rode in uh, uh, and they have pedestrianised uh, certain streets, they have made uh, communal areas available uh, and all was going good uh, and in fairness the Department of, of um, Justice on the 28th of May, uh, issued a set of, I, I think you'd probably call them guidelines in relation to outdoor consumption of alcohol, and they updated them on the 9th of June. Uh, but we, uh, about 12 days ago, uh, were beginning to detect in certain areas a level of unease among certain sections of the Gardaí. Yeah. And uh, 10 days ago, I wrote to the Minister for Justice and I said, look, uh, we are, we're now looking at a situation where we're going to have a lack of uniformity across the country. There are there are some misgivings in some areas by some members of the Gardaí, and you need to bring clarity to this. And we explained how it should be done by way of statutory instrument under the emergency legislation that was introduced last year that has been used for everything for the, la- for the last 15, 16 months at this point in time. Okay, but the situa- situation, situation though is, I've got Senator Ali Crow on the other line as well. Ali, good morning to you. Uh, thanks, Ali, for joining good us. Morning, um, the situation here, if I'm reading you right, gentlemen, is uh, this is not the publican's fault. This is not the guard, the, the guard on the beat's fault. This is not the sergeant's fault, the superintendent's fault, or the chief superintendent's fault. Um, my reckoning in all of this is the Department of Justice knew full well this was coming down the line. I discussed this with somebody this morning and they should have 
the Minister for Justice should have amended the legislation a long time ago, knowing that this was coming. If you're throwing billions at the problem and you don't solve the problem by not changing legislation, that's why we are where we are today. And what happens if Ollie Crow, you or your brother Michael or your mother, um, get a ticket indeed from the Garda Siakona um, because of what you're doing? Does that go against the renewal of your licence? Well, look, it absolutely Keith Porrick has outlined the situation yeah, there, but, and I suppose. Yeah, yeah but, but just from my own point of view, if I could say that, you know, I think, you know, th- this matter arose, first of all, on Thursday afternoon in Galway City. I spoke to publicans across the city. I spoke to the Gardaí, and, you know, I, I honestly think... But did the, had the Gardaí warned people in Galway about this on Thursday evening at uh, Central Crew? Well, what actually happened, Keith, was a sergeant and two guardy called to a number of licensed premises across Galway City on Thursday afternoon. Okay. I spoke to the sergeant, I spoke to the guardy, I spoke to a number of vintners across the city, and no more than what Porrick had done previously, on behalf of the VFI, I wrote to Heather Humphreys, Minister for Justice, on Thursday evening. Like, in my own opinion, you know, I have to say, you know, a huge regard for the guardy. I just find, to be honest with you, that, it, that you know, it's it's heavy-handed, and I, and I don't, you know... That, but the law you know, is the law, though, Ali. I mean, you and I discussed the law. I mean, the law is the law, and the law is as it is, and one guard can implement it one way or one chief superintendent the superintendent and the other the other way but if they don't implement it and something happens then it goes to GSOC and they're all in trouble from there and they do implement it but I think what Heather Humphreys has to do is come out today change the legislation and just get, let, let's get on with summer but if we could just if we could just go back a little bit, just a yeah, little bit, please do. Um, just just if we could, just in relation to the consultation between Galway City Council, between the Gardaí and the Fire Brigade, in relation to the pedestrianisation of different areas across Galway City, and more than yourself, I'm very familiar with it. Like the 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 reality is that that was never raised at that stage, as you're well aware, Keith. Like the financial pressure and the you know, the, the, over the last 15 months... Oh, we we accept that, Ali, but, but I mean, the, sol- the solution, though, needs to... Where is the solution yeah, and here? I give it, yeah, I, look, I, I'm giving... Yeah, we can go back over the 15 months and I appreciate the yeah. difficulty that everyone has had, but give me the solution as of the 21st well, of June, well, well, the longest day of the year. But, but I, think it's, I, think it's, I think it's important, Keith, for the thousands of jobs across Galway to highlight... The, the, the pressure that the hospitality sector are under. Currently, whether it's staff shortages, financial pressure, trying to be COVID compliant and trying to do everything within their reason. And I want to take the opportunity to thank all of the okay. council and the no, no, and, has and been provided that, that's through a government. Gi- but, that's but, but, a given. I'm going to give you the solution. I'm going to give you the solution. Is As you outlined there and alluded to, and Porig alluded to, what, what, what can happen is that the, the Minister for Justice you know, should bring in a ministerial order today and, and, and rectify that. I have written on Thursday to her, you know, I am doing my utmost as a member of the Oireachtas to highlight it. But I think also that until that happens, that the statutory instrument comes in from the minister, that there has to be discretion shown on behalf of the Gardaí. Now, can okay. I just say also that there's huge issues across our city, across, you know, there, there, that, that we, I find every day in communities in Galway that there's a shortage of Gardaí, a shortage of Gardaí within the community, and that has concerns for, for all people. And the point I'm trying to make is that we can use, the Gardaí must use the resources to the best of the of the, you know the limited resources they used to use 
maximum to the best of their ability but the point I'm making is that I don't think it's appropriate you know to be calling to okay. licensed members across the city because I, and I appreciate I appreciate that um, Senator Crow. but I mean the situation is that if I'm a guard and I'm in Mill Street and I've got the book in front of me and I know what the law states and the law yeah. states that unless you take it off site or you're drinking it internally which they can't do because of uh, the restrictions that are in you're breaking the law. So if a guard is a guard is a guard and that he's true to his training, he's well within and she's well within the rights to give out the tickets from there. So I'm going back on what I said. It's not the publicans, the guardies, fault superintendents, chief superintendents. They're interpreting the law as it is on the statute books of the country currently. So that has got to be changed. So you've said you've written to Heather Humphreys, but this is down to the Department of Justice and don't forget now Hildegard Nocton is a member, is a minister within the Department of Justice. She should be able to do something today to sort this out. And then, the bylaws that were brought in by Galway, I don't think are making it easier, Central Crow. Yeah, well, fair point, Keith, and I suppose what I have done also is I've contacted Councillor MJ Crow and Councillor Alan Cheevers, who are both members of the Joint Policing meeting and as you're aware that meeting takes place at 11am this morning and both members will be raising it at that meeting trying to find a solution but absolutely I mean what, But do you understand when that? it's on the statute books and, and Chief Superintendent Tom Corley and everyone that works underneath him right in the region uh, on the statute books it currently says it's illegal uh, what's going on and they're within their rights and the law and if something did happen do you accept if something did happen and they didn't implement the law that they'd end up in front of GSOC? Well what I think what needs to happen for the next until there's a solution found which I'm sure will happen this week is that there needs to be discretion shown on behalf of the Gardaí. The fact of the matter is is that it's a controlled environment and my question to if, if my question this morning is and you're well aware Keith was well covered on your programme and Paul Cribbon is well aware in relation to across the country but there was consultation between Galway Gardaí between uh, Galway City Council and between the Fire Brigade uh, in relation to the personalisation of whether it was Woodkey or whether it was Dominic Street or across our city. Now, why wasn't the concerns raised at that point? The fact of the matter is, is that there needs, it's a controlled environment. There needs to be discretion shown at the moment until the matter is sorted. Whether it is Hildegard Nocton or Heather Humphreys, it is the Department of Justice and what, what needs to be done is a ministerial order needs to be signed and I am doing all I can at my okay. level. No, no, I appreciate that. Paul Cribben, am, am I wrong in my, my estimations? Uh, you're, you're, you're probably half right and half wrong. Uh, I'm not so sure the law is as clear as it's made out to be. Uh, I mean, in, in some cases. Uh, there is an issue about discretion. I mean, I listened this morning to a member of the Garda Representative Authority on Morning Ireland talking about discretion. They have been told more or less, not in relation to this issue, but they've more or less been told by by head office, their head office, uh, you know, you don't use discretion. Uh, I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing a certain amount of um, politics between the Department of Justice and the Garda and politics within the Garda. But just going back to the law, I mean, if, if, if somebody um, uh, buys a pint, for example, in a pub or, or it's served outside in this, these Section 254 areas for, for their life, yeah. and, and if they move outside that section uh, to, uh, to drink that pint, I mean, if you look at the law, and specifically if you look at, look at Section 17.2 of, uh, uh, of the 2003 Intoxicating Liquor Act, it says... 
a licensee is guilty of an offence if they allow that to happen. But there is, in that very specific piece of legislation, it says, and I quote, a licensee is guilty of an offence if intoxicating liquor supplied by the licensee, and the next four words are very important, in a closed container for consumption of the premises is consumed in a place which is within 100 metres of those premises. No licensee, sorry, no publican is serving alcohol in a closed container. And that is what you get in an off-licence. So I'm not so sure that the law is as clear-cut as some people are making it out to be uh, in this respect. Okay. But, you know, the one thing that we're probably short of here is, is common sense. And if common sense is not going to prevail, then we've got to go back to where I was 10 days ago. Not last, not last Thursday when, when the Gardaí in Galway issued... Um, uh, I don't know whether there were instructions or guidelines or advice or whatever. I could use various words. Uh, ten, you know, a week before that, I had written to the Department of Justice because I got this sense in one or two areas around the country, not widespread, that uh, this would turn out to be a problem. I gave them that you were looking for the solution. I gave them the solution. I said in my letter that clarity can be brought by way of statutory instrument under the emergency legislation introduced last year and it would need to cover the consumption of alcohol in both Section 254 areas and publicly provided areas. Hmm. The other thing that's important to say, Keith, in this respect, is that the Gardaí across the country are telling us that since the uh, the second, the 5th of June, or whatever date in June that Monday was, that, that the pubs uh, opened for outdoor, they are seeing significant reductions in public order offences. That is important also, in the, from the point of view of using discretion in the implementation of the law. All right. Uh, final word uh, to you, um, Ali Crow, Senator Crow. Um, you and I spoke um, on Friday evening last, and you and your colleague Peter came off the canals, and you did say to me that you felt that the Gardaí's time would be better dealing with drug taking. Oh, well, look, what I suppose, Keith, what I said was that there's, there's, and I said it again this morning, is that there's huge issues across the city and that there there's is. limited resources in the Gardaí and that we need to, you know, we need to maximise, we'll say, the, the, the work that they do. And my point was, and my point still is, is that I think in all fairness, in all fairness to everybody, the hospitality sector has been under and you've outlined that, it's under significant pressure. And I just felt, and I think it's fair to say, that, you know, I felt it was a sledgehammer to crack a nut. I didn't think it was warranted to go in and give a verbal caution to people that are under pressure. And I don't think people realise, you know, the financial pressure. And, and were verbal cautions... Across bars and restaurants in the last 15 months in Galway. And I think, as, as, as Porik has alluded to there, like, the, the reality is, is that the hospitality sector needs huge support. You know, it needs significant support at government level and it needs significant support from Galway City Council and from the Gardaí. Okay. And the majority, you know, most of those organisations are doing that. But I just felt it was a little bit heavy-handed. Look, the discretion is going to be shown and I'm confident that the matter will be resolved, you know, in the coming days. Can I ask you just, and I don't want names or others, but have you spoken to a publican in Galway uh, that did get the verbal caution from a Gardaí Oh, absolutely, Keith. Absolutely, I spoke so, to a number of them. In, I spoke to a number of them in the High Street, Cross Street, uh, West End area, and you know, 
what it was was that it was a verbal caution that they would be back in four or five days, you know, to take further action. And I think, look, uh, there okay. needs to be a, a bit can of I, can I, a common sense approach used. And I just don't think that that, that is the correct way to go. And as, as has been out, like it's a controlled environment. It's for a short period of time. The 5th of July is on the way. You know, like, let's, you, we have to also take, remember. Take a breath, but again, the, the, the legislation is there. Can I ask you so, a very stupid question? Maybe you can. So are you telling me that that, that, that iconic corner where Gene Octans is, where people sit out and have a cup of coffee or have a pint or have whatever they're having, uh, that technically, is that illegal? Well, I suppose... Technically, uh, now, money. very clear. Yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. The, the problem here is, is that, you know, there is bylaws within the uh, Galway City uh, Council area, and then there's uh, national legislation. In this case, you know, as I said already, I believe it's heavy-handed, is that the direction came from the Phoenix Park, from the Assistant Guard Commissioner, you know, that there was, a, there was an issue here. Well, go back to that Gene Ockton's corner, though. Go back to that corner, which is an iconic corner, and... Like, we have to be careful we don't kill the goose that laid the golden egg here because Galway needs the tourism and the industry needs the tourism. But that, that iconic corner where, that's, where the colours match and all of that happens, um, is that legal what's happening according to the statute books currently uh, to for people to sit outside? Well, look, as Paul Cruben outlined, what needs to take place you know, for the foreseeable future is that a statutory instrument can be signed by the Minister for Justice to align with the bylaws and okay. to correct the to correct the issue. But I suppose going forward is is that, you know, whether it's you know, whether it's Shop Street, Woodkey, Prospect Hill, High Street, you know, the West End, whatever area it is, I think there needs to be, you know, a common sense approach used. I mean, there's restaurants, there's bars, they're only opening up. I mean, there's huge employment within the sector. And I think all support needs to be given to the operators and okay. to the owners of these businesses, you know, for now and for the, until they get back on their feet for a number of months. And I'll do everything I can at government level to ensure that happens. All right. Uh, thank you both for joining us, Paul Criven and uh, Senator uh, Ali Crow joining us there on the line. Your thoughts and comments, please. They're all open today to 53995. Ironically, the next subject matter we're looking at is living within the city centre. Stay tuned for that and more to come. Now, very good morning to you. On Friday morning, last I read a letter from uh, a resident in the Bowling Green area. And uh, her name is Anne Ryan, and she joins me on the line. She's also joined, indeed, on the same line uh, by Maureen Akiola, who's the chair of the Bowling Green Resident Association. First off, I'll go to Anne Ryan, because her letter was so articulate about living uh, in the area as well. And she joins me on uh, line one today. And good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. How are you? Good. It took a good bit, indeed, to put that letter together, and it was very, very comprehensive. And you said that you lived in the city centre uh, during race weeks, Volvo Ocean races, uh, arts festival, film flans, etc. Um, but it's it's worse now because of COVID. Well, I wouldn't say it's worse because of COVID. It's just plain worse. I, I to be honest with you, I don't know what COVID has to do with it. Yeah, okay. It's worse than it was then, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, since, since let's call it lockdown has been eased, it is significantly worse. But COVID restrictions, uh, as we understand them, um, social distancing, masks, etc., they have no part of it. You know, it's not remotely relevant to any, any COVID restrictions. It's just, I suppose it's just um, antisocial behaviour I'm talking about here. Plain, straightforward antisocial behaviour. 
you 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 outlined in the second uh, page of your you said behaviour on the banks, which is which you back onto in that, and and uh, Bowling Green does is drinking, shouting, singing, with playing loud music, chanting, jump, jump, jump on the river. Young people have been pulled from the canal, urination, defecating, fornicating, and littering. It's um, it doesn't read well. It does. It doesn't sound well either. And if you stop long enough to look at it, it doesn't look well. It's very, very scary. And it's very scary when I think about it. You know, essentially we're talking about 500 metres of riverbank in the centre of the city, in the centre of a residential area where most of the residents are not young. Some of the um, developments purpose-built for elderly people um, are, are, are enjoying all this. Then there are the dangers of riverside drinking. Mm-hmm. I've seen fellas pulled out of the river. It's fine so long as their mates are aware that they have fallen in. The problem is if their mates don't notice it. Um, significant danger if a row breaks out. I can't see how any help could get through the crowds, not to mention the danger if there's a medical emergency. Again, you know, the crowds can't get through it. And I keep looking at it and thinking the mixed messages that are being sent out to the young people of Galway that on the one hand, how to drink sensibly and carefully. We have all sorts of projects going. We have the River Watch. It, to me, what goes on on the bank I'm talking about is an absolute contradiction of what River Watch are doing. It's in contradiction of some of the programmes that the Gardaí themselves are making available to young people. Yeah. You know, there are just so many contradictions out there. But there's a bit of sort of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland going on when I look at it. Um, what, what, what you're talking about the letter, it took me it took me a while not not to put what's in it into it, but how much did I have to leave out? Really, really? did I stop talking, Keith? No. How long was uh, how was it this weekend? Can I ask you? Uh, it started this weekend on Thursday night, and it started with great gusto, and it lasted until three thirty. It was about three in the morning. Um, there was singing, chanting, jumping up and down, and everybody had a great time. And in fairness, it's very good-natured. And no two guards could clear it too easily. You know, I mean, the guards have been so helpful when I ring them. Uh, in, in Mill Street, I have been so courteously received. They've done what they can. But I, I don't know how one or two people can police it when it gets to that stage. I don't know how many people are available. I don't know anything about the resources. All I know is that as far as I'm concerned, they have been doing what they can do. But something more needs to be done. You know, we have a lot of agencies in Galway. We have city councillors. We have Gardaí at senior level. We have um, an administration in City Hall, surely to God, between a lot of them. And they all do so much for the city. Surely they could start this one as well. And and do you think perhaps in, in dates like we're talking about now that a set of gates or something should be put up to stop people going into that area from a safety point of view and from a, a quality of life point of view for the residents that have to put up with this? Gates are one option. Um, gates at what time of the day are another option. You know, gates That's from 10 at night to 6 in the morning would be, to me, very welcome. Um, where they can be shot and I... I've seen this done in other places very, very effectively. And I wouldn't be recommending to anybody to go walking down a lonely bank on their own late at night. So no. I don't think the social amenity aspect of it is going to be lost. But it's certainly being lost from fairly early in the evening on when the crowds begin to gather. So what the decision will be, I don't know. But it's certainly our one option. Another is to make it just impossible for people to gather and to drink. 
whether or not the manpower is out there. You know, we've wardens for everything. Could we have cleared the bank wardens? Please, yeah. It opens up a bigger picture, and what I can now go to go to your colleague, indeed, Morning Yukiano, who joins me, who's chair of the Bowling Green Residents Association, because she and I had a conversation this morning mm-hmm. in relation to trying to get life back into the city centre. Um, because it's you know it's, it's the hub for it, so it's not just about the drinking, but it's the future indeed, and trying to get more people into the city centre. Maura joins me on the line. Maura, good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Keith. Thanks um, for joining. Yeah, I mean, yes. It's yes. one aspect but of what we're talking to, to and yes. it is the yes. wider picture, though. Yeah. Yes, and the the whole sense of the city centre has at night now is it's like race week feeling. And it means that people don't want to go out or people aren't drinking, don't want to go out and about because they're sort of feel they're going to be bumping into people who've had too much drink or whatever like that. And the background noise, the shouting and the roaring and so on like that. So it does create an uncomfortable feeling. And I suppose what's really going on is the city centre needs more people to come and live in it. And it's not just about having people coming in from the suburbs or outer town to come and enjoy the city centre as a playground. We want to bring actual real people living in the city centre. And we're, we we really notice it on our area, which is totally residential, that um, we need more people to come and live and not just be in short-term rentals. And so there's a real lack in the city centre of, um, I suppose, reasonably rented accommodation that people can stay in it for long term like security of tenure tenure, and you're nearly harking back to the basic human right to be able to get a place to stay at a reasonable rent that you can stay in for for a long time rather than the feeling of well the landlords will always be putting up the rents and I know not all landlords are like that and some keep the rents very reasonable but, but the overall market is not good for ordinary people wanting to rent and stay in a place long term so you, you feel rather than rather yeah. than it becoming this playground like um, yeah. you know getting the excited like Fungarola got from the students went out there all those yeah. years ago, rather than that you're saying now let's 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 have a look at where we put um, residential accommodation, and uh, so you're saying even the Market Street side there, the car park in Market Street, could that be built on, and uh, the Bowling Green car park uh, there could be built on. Yeah. And again, yeah. you're saying housing agencies going in, so they'll say, Keith, you're 60, whatever age you are, or 59, whatever, and um, you want to move in, that's there until you die, and then somebody else gets it. And you, so you're you're bringing new life, and you're bringing life really back into the city centre again, because life in the city centre is missing currently, except around. Bowling Green and perhaps then uh, the docks and the apartments at the docks. Mm, yeah, and Woodkey, there's people, uh, long-term well, yeah. people living there as well. But uh, uh, there are other people living in 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 rental, but they're more like in short-term rental, and so they have to keep on moving on. And so, what you've said about people getting long-term accommodation would be, make a huge difference. And um, it's, I suppose, we just think that. For the crowds coming in and enjoying themselves in their playground, the residents are sort of invisible to them. And so they get the feeling that this is a playground rather than this is a place where people live. And that's, that whole perception has to change, I think. That comes down to respect, though, and, and those that are coming in indeed to, to use the playground. 
and to use your word as the player, your word as the playground, those people have to show respect. So then you're going back indeed to the you mentioned wardens. Is a time for those yes. in the in the yes. public house industry, in the takeaway industry, to employ security people to to bring in this respect and for the guards to be to be tough on these people. I think that would be a great idea. Um, if there's so many people outdoors enjoying themselves, which um, in terms of the whole COVID thing is what people have been recommended to do, well, then it needs some sort of control. Be like having a big festival on, like when the Volvo festival on and other things were on. There were volunteers, there were people, in, there were security guards, there were people there to make sure that people behaved themselves. Yeah. I remember when I was down at the docks and you, you had to go through a gate or some sort of control and don't bring the drink in so that everybody could have a good time and it was family friendly and what's going on in the city in the evening is not family friendly and I think that's the basic piece that's missing it is. I, th- I think the other aspect of this is that the public houses have opened, they've got their own problems today in relation to the Gardaí and the implementation of uh, the bylaws yeah, but I, I actually do think though and I mean I'm not a killjoy at all but I do think the off licences and those that are selling drink have an awful lot to answer for because they're give, they're selling those slabs. Those people are going out and uh, they're fueling it. I mean, I, I think the controlled public houses um, may be an issue, but not as big an issue as the off-licence. Well, um, do you think the off-licences are going to... Um, no, that's their, <laughs> their business. So it's, it's a bigger pattern. It's a, you know, it's a bigger society and government and laws and regulations. Um, so, I you know, you do really need to get back to some form of um, control. control and security yeah. and wardens and so on because if you want to turn the city centre in one big playground where people enjoy themselves outdoors well then it needs to be um, patrolled and monitored. I love your idea of creating a city to live in rather than a playground. Oh, yeah. That That's that's yeah. stuck with me so it has since we spoke this morning. Yeah. And I think that's a lovely idea to to bring life back into the city centre and have people living over shops in Shop Street because there's a lot of shops that have no shops within them, there's no vendors within them. So to bring life back in, I think it's a lovely thing. But then for those that come in to enjoy the wonderful city and county, and I believe they were in their thousands at the weekend, um, they have to have respect for what the, for the playground they've come into. They do. Um, and like there's campaigns out there for, say, dealing with um, dog dirt respect your city, you know, love yeah. your dog, respect your city. And I see those posters up and I see the signs up. Well, there needs to be some campaign about respect your city for all the, the humans. Yeah, well, respect the so residents of the city. The yeah. And outside. Yeah. yeah, so we, we I mean, constantly, a wonderful lady from Henry Street on a, on a daily basis was sending me in photographs and videos of people and what they were doing on her front doorstep, yeah. which was absolutely yeah. shocking. A dog wouldn't, wouldn't do what they were doing. What they were doing down the Henry Street um, playground area, there, people couldn't get sleep for weeks on end because of what was going on there. That's lack of respect, so it is. But we start, it is lack of respect, yeah. yeah. But how are you going to stop it um, by just asking the respect, like, the way to get on top of that, I think, is to have more patrols and just, you know, get away off home out of there now. You can't do that. And yeah. the residents don't feel able to do it because the crowds are too big. Well, the residents shouldn't have to do it, Maura. I'm sorry, the, sh- the the residents should not have to do it. I mean, that's why we have legislation, that's why we're paying our taxes, uh, for you and others and Anne to be able to sleep in peace, and this should not happen. We start the discussion on it, let's see where it goes from there and see if constables want to get involved in it. Yeah, we do, want, we do want a city for people to live in and as others to come in and enjoy themselves, but respect the place. 
Morning, Kiana. Thank you for joining us. And Anne Ryan, thank you for joining us as well on today's programme. And uh, what do you think? 53995. You can call Siobhan on 0917707 and you can text us to 53995. Now, Senator Ali Crowe just sent me in a statement from Minister Heather Humphreys, which has just arrived in. Uh, Keith's statement from Minister Heather Humphreys right now. I've been in regular contact with the Garda Commissioner on the issue of outdoor dining and how best on Garda Shikona will work to facilitate us all enjoying an outdoor summer. We spoke again this morning. The Commissioner has reassured me and did so again this morning that discretion will continue to be applied with the Gardaí in their engagement with licensed premises. The Commissioner will be sending a communication out across the Garda organisation this morning to that effect. The overwhelming majority of licensed premises are operating safely and we, the Government, are determined to continue to support them. If local issues arrive, I would urge local authorities, Gardaí and businesses to engage. However, I will also examine whether further measures are required from government licensing laws. Um, sorry, from government licensing laws is a complex area, but I've spoken to the Attorney General this morning and we will take further action if necessary. So that looks like a minister who's on top of her portfolio, and that came from uh, Senator Ali Crow today to the programme. Uh, Ali looks at sport uh, this morning. Ali, good morning to you. Morning to you, Keith. No look for a late night game for the Camogie girls last night. Yeah, disappointing that they lost out in the end and I don't know, Kilkenny just seemed to have the edge on Galway at the moment, what with the All-Ireland final uh, late last year and now the National Camogie League final. I have a funny feeling that there will be uh, another clash between the two of them before the year is out in the Championship. Uh, 118 to 115 is how it finished and as you say, just disappointing that it didn't work out for, for the Galway girls. Uh, in the end, Aoife Doyle's goal in the second half was the difference between the sides. Just three points. They are, along with Cork, quite clearly the three best teams in the country. And uh, as I say, Galway Kilkenny and that rivalry has probably been ratcheted up even another notch now that Kilkenny have got the better of Galway for the second time in a row. And I'm sure uh, with the championship fast approaching that uh, they'll be uh, whetting their appetite for potentially another clash, maybe even in the final. Good stuff now. Good news for John Ram. He had COVID and had to bow out of the tournament a few two weeks ago indeed, but he won the US Open golf. Yeah, it's some comeback, Keith, because as you say, he was forced to stand down from the Memorial Tournament two weeks ago when he had it won. I mean, he was six shots up. It was all done and dusted. The officials went over to him as he walked off the 18th green after the third round and he put his head in his hands. And here he is. I mean, he had to isolate for 10 days. So he's only literally got to the course at Tory Pines uh, earlier on this week. And uh, he ended up winning it last night with a clutch birdie-birdie finish. I mean, just spectacular way to win the tournament. He's also world number one. He's playing like the best player in the world right now. The first Spaniard to win the US Open. And uh, Tory Pines, I think, is a place that John Ram uh, will remember for the rest of his life. It's also the place where he had his first PGA Tour victory. It's the place where he got engaged and now it's the place where he's won the US Open. So for John Ram, it's a special place. Tough luck on Louis Oosthuizen, the South African finishing second at a major again. And Rory briefly threatened. I thought he had a great chance of winning the tournament before the start of play. 
I thought even more so after a couple of holes in that final round when he was joint leader on four under par. But he fell away in the back nine and in the end there could be no complaints. Ram, the best player, won. Now you did say that if Rory got off to a good start, which he did get off to a good start, he could do okay. He yeah. did, but it was the back nine really that took him from there. It, it was a, unfortunate because I think they put up a stat there on the Saturday, Keith, about Rory's performances in the last two rounds of majors since 2013 has been considerably better than anybody else in the world. So when you throw that into the mix, uh, of course, you figured that, oh, wow, this is Rory's for the taking. But, of course, what people forget is for most of those uh, majors, Rory has been firing in spectacular final rounds when he's been out of the tournament. And it's just literally climbing from 50th place into the top 10 and making a lot of money, but without any real shot at winning the tournament. This was totally different because he was in the mix, had a chance of winning, and just didn't have it when it came to the crunch. Now, the action continues at Euro 2020 today with four four matches today. Four matches is right, Keith. Two groups to be sorted, so in uh, groups B and C. Uh, First up at five o'clock in group C, it's the Netherlands against North Macedonia and the Ukraine against Austria. The Dutch have already qualified. Ukraine and Austria both have three points, so the winner of that will also go through. And then at 8 o'clock tonight, Belgium against Finland and Denmark against Russia. Belgium have won both their group games, so they're fine. Russia and Finland have three points each, and Denmark need to win to have any chance of qualifying for the knockout stage. So, uh, again, if Belgium beat Finland and Denmark beat Russia then you're down to goal difference. So that could be, uh, get the calculators out when it comes to that late night finish tonight, uh, just before 10 o'clock. And um, racing-wise, Oliver? We're going back to Ballinrobe, an eight-race card. Looks like a decent evening as well, weather-wise. And the first goes to post there at 20 to 5. All right. Thanks, Eddie, for joining us. More sport on the hour every hour here on Galway BFM. Galway Bay FM Sports News with Western Motors Ballybrit, the home of Volkswagen in Galway. Western Motors Volkswagen.ie. Just looking at that statement again from Heather Humphreys uh, there to Central Oliver Crow uh, today. It looks like that the diktat is coming from the Guard, the Commissioner. I've been in regular contact with the Guard, the Commissioner, on the issue of outdoor dining and how best Angarda Shikona will work to facilitate us all enjoying an outdoor summer. We spoke again this morning. The Commissioner has reassured me and did so again this morning that discretion will continue to be applied by Gardaí in their engagements with licensed premises. The Commissioner will uh, be sending a communication out across the Garda organisation this morning to that effect. And uh, the overwhelming majority of licensed premises are operating safely and we in government are determined to continue to support them. If local issues arise, I would urge local authorities, Gardaí and businesses to engage. However, I will examine further uh, measures if they're required from government licensing laws is quite complex, but I've spoken to the Attorney General this morning and we will take further action if necessary. So that might make it easier when it comes to the joint policing meeting which is taking place uh, this morning indeed at 11 o'clock uh, here in Galway. Oh, but there you go. I mean, again, we're down to discretion, 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 but can the country be run on discretion? I think we need legislation uh, to support that discretion because... I mean, if a guard, one guard comes up against one situation and somebody else comes up against a more aggressive situation, where do they stand? Where one says, I'm giving you the ticket and we're taking action here, we'll see you in court. And the other is at the back of his head saying, well, Drew Harris said to use discretion. How much discretion do I use? Two different scenarios there. One quite aggressive and people very drunk, maybe. One placid and out for dinner and trying to enjoy their night. Uh, how does one use discretion like that? 
Anyway, let's head towards the 10 o'clock news and join Paul and the team for the 10 o'clock news. And we're back just after that. Yet to come, one Galway family who were in Mexico urgently need financial assistance. We'll be going to that just after 11 o'clock. Stay tuned for that and more to come. Wow, very good morning to you. It's a lovely morning out there if you're out and about today or if you're visiting Galway, by the way, and you're tuning in for the first time. Welcome to uh, the finest city and county uh, in the country. We're very proud of it, I have to say. And uh, well done to all involved in it as well. It's, it's, we can give out and all we want about it, uh, but it's a great city and a great county indeed. And a beautiful county. Absolutely beautiful county. Now, then let me move on because I've known my next guest for a long number of years. And um, his story was on the front of the Connacht Tribune, indeed, and it's been all over the place since. His name is Patrick Brown. His colleagues in UHG call him Paddy Brown. He's highly educated, married, uh, but he did the ultimate, so he did, uh, for he and his wife. Uh, he donated his um, daughter, indeed, part of his uh, liver because she hadn't been she hadn't been well since uh, she was born. But uh, he joins me on the line. Uh, today, Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. You'll always be Patrick to me, by the way. The rest of them come. <laughs> I, I, just, I know you, I must know you 15, 10, 15 years at this stage. Or oh, at least at this stage. At this stage, because um, you are a specialist when it comes to Parkinson's and that. And you've looked after my mom for a long, long number of years. That's right. Um, and you were only a gossoon then. And then you grew up, and then you became, uh, then you got married. I remember the day you got married, indeed. And then your daughter arrived. But um, I remember when your daughter was born. How many years ago is that now? Six and a half years ago now. Wow. And at what stage did yourself and your wife realise there was something not right? Well, very early on, um, within 24 hours after she was born, she was John Dustin. And then when she was eight weeks old, she was diagnosed with a condition called biliary atresia, which is a condition where the liver isn't able to dry, dr- drain the bile out of it, so it becomes toxic to itself. So she underwent um, major surgery in Crumlin Hospital, and the professor from the UK, Professor Davenport, flew over, actually, and did the surgery in Crumlin, wow. which was, you know, unusual and Hugely, hugely appreciated at the time. Um, so that that did its job and it worked very, very well until she was, just before her third birthday, she got an infection in her liver because the original surgery part of the procedure is that they attached small intestine onto the liver from a, to allow for drainage. Um, so she unfortunately got an infection and then there was damage done to the liver by the infection and we subsequently went the transplant pathway then. Again, for you and Deirdre, because both of you are nurses, um, ye had more knowledge than a lot of us would have had, so ye kind of knew it at an early stage and I, I do remember from the Tribune article, one consultant asking ye or telling ye to pray for a miracle. Well, yeah, well, that was after the transplant. Yeah. Um, I suppose the, it, it, it's a blessing in some ways when you have knowledge and in other ways then you know the potential of what can go wrong and you know, you know what to look for to try and prevent the, the the complications, but you also know what the potential complications are. So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, so to speak. Both the, the care that Sive and us all, we all received, you know, in Crumlin, 
in King's College Hospital in London, locally in Galway. We, we've been very, very lucky with the expertise and the energy that has been invested into in, in, into SIVE because um, as any parent who has uh, a child with health needs, it is, it's a very, very stressful time. There's no two ways about it. But the, the journey is made easier and, and more palatable by the way that the, the, the care is delivered and the expertise and the confidence that you can have in the medical teams and the nursing teams because we, when your back is to the wall, you need all the help you yeah. can get and it was just fabulous, absolutely fabulous. And can I ask you, at what stage then did you decide that you, yourself and Deirdre would be screened and other family members then as well? Well, as soon as the decision was made that five needed to go on the, the transplant list, I was worked up and initially it wasn't... I wasn't suitable, just there was an anomaly found there in the, the blood work, but it turned out 12 months later that that was a false positive. So in the meantime, actually, uh, one of my brothers had stepped forward to be tested um, because they, they will only work up one person at a time because it's just a huge process and it's a very, very robust process. But you know, every single, even though the process takes a long time, every single step of that process is there for a reason and a very, very valid reason. So it, there's nothing fast about it, yeah. but it's, uh, there, there is no stone left unturned. So uh, then ultimately I was able to do it and then off we went, thankfully. And your brother Michael was on standby just in case as well? Well, th- now that was unusual because he had been worked up when I wasn't able to do it and then it turned out I was able to do it 12 months later. Yeah. Um, but So that was very unusual. Normally it would be there'd be only one person and um, so we're you know but it just shows there, the there can, you can never express enough gratitude for everything that was done no, it just shows the love and the and the care that's there for Sive and yourself and Deirdre and that that you're, you know your brother was brave enough to say well I'll go oh, for heroic absolutely, absolutely heroic yeah. uh, you know it really it, take, his, it takes his, a special his wife and kids as well it takes a very special to, to put their own life on the line on this one. And how did you find the whole preparation for the operation, the operation itself, uh, the recovery, and then seeing Sive coming alongside you? Well, my side of it was, the preparation for it was, I hadn't been a fit in over 20 years, and, and all of that getting re- to be ready for it, and to be as healthy as possible going into it, and to make sure that the everything was going to work as well as possible, anything that I could control was dealt with. Um, my side of it was uneventful, thankfully. Um, however, size was um, size was more, much, much more challenging. There was there was complications after the surgery, but she was a real trooper. And despite all the complications and subsequent surgeries and things, she came through it all. Um, defied lots and lots of expectations, and is a healthy and happy six and a half year old now. We, we yourself and Deirdre worried all the way along. Do you, I take it you still worry, you still hope and pray that it all, everything works out? Well, nobody ever knows what the future holds. No, for, but still. In any walk of life. That that worry will always be there, but you know, you have to live, you know, you have to get on with life. Life is for living. We have this wonderful gift that we've gotten now that Sive is able to have a very healthy, normal, happy life. 
and that's one thing. It, it, really, you know, when we when the Irish Kidney Association asked us, would we tell our story? Thankfully, we're on the right side of it now. So it's it's not even so much about that. It's about giving other people that are in that predicament to give them the hope that things can and do happen, but also to give encouragement to those that can potentially mm. do something about it by virtue of making their wishes known, by carrying the little organ donor card. Um, it, it's a, it fits in your wallet. It's only a credit card size card. There's even a digital version of it. And it's to encourage people to carry that card to make the wishes known so that there is no ambiguity if the question is asked in years to come or whatever the circumstances may be when when a family is at a time of great anguish. Well, that's one thing that they don't have to try and guess and they don't have to try and yeah. figure out. If the wishes are made known, it's clear to everybody what the person's intentions were as re- surrounding organ donation. The Patrick Brown that I would have known all, down through all the years, you're very cool, calm, collect. Um, did you remain cool, calm, collect throughout this whole process? Well, <laughs> it depends on your definition of cool and calm. As well. no, nothing, um, nothing would ever get to you. I mean, certainly from a medical point of view, and maybe that's maybe that's the training because you're highly trained in this in, in every field. Indeed, I think you still must be in education because you have so many names after letters after your name. But cool, calm, collect. You, did you get frightened? Did you get worried at any stage? Oh, it was it was huge, huge worry. Um, but it's a case of you have to deal with with what's in front of you and. You know, making sure that side was yeah. sorted out, and and to keep calm for her too, because you know we we don't, and I think societally in general, we don't give half enough credit to how intuitive and how smart children are. They will pick up on things that you don't think they will pick up on, and they will know. They'll they'll sense the vibe. So you have to keep it as as smooth and as calm for them as possible. Um, we we were able to give our whole trust to the medical teams and the surgical teams and the nursing teams that were looking after side. So, you know, we had to concentrate on being mum and dad um, and park our professions, so to speak, um, purely to to maintain as much as we could for side a sense of normality. Mm. And she's doing well now. Flying, thank God, and she's healthy and happy and full of full of full of the joy of life. And you're well, and dear as well. You're all well. Thankfully, all is great. We're we're very very lucky. We're on the right side of it, as I said, and we know of lots of people who are waiting and waiting and waiting for years and years, um, because the 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 availability of organs for donation. You know, there, there, there's much more demand than there is supply. So people wait for years and years. And unfortunately, some people don't make it to the end of that. There is a mortality rate on these lists purely because there isn't enough availability. So if people can make their wishes known, it will go some way to helping with the, the, the outcome for these people. Because, you know, restrictions, lockdown restrictions, that's nothing new whatsoever to people who are living on transplant lists because it is a very restricted and restrictive life for these mm. people. Um, and it, it changes their world, absolutely changes their world. And it changes the world of their families. It's not just the person. It's like dropping a stone into a pond. It's that ripple effect absolutely. throughout a family and the community because it changes everything. 
any illness in any in any family indeed throws the whole family into a state of Absolutely, state, yeah. state of flux so it does but I mean this 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 there's illnesses and there's illnesses and there's issues and there's issues but when it's your own daughter it has to make it all that more uh, special for you listen keep strong you and dear the key message this morning is if you have a driving license or otherwise just have a donor card with you god forbid yeah, something if, happens if, to if, you. if i can keep yeah, just the, the on ika.ie is the website the irish kidney association they're the organization that look after all the donor cards type thing you can sign up for a digital donor card there or their contact number is zero one six two zero five three zero six. So that's zero one six two zero five three zero six. I suppose, um, Patrick, in life we go through life saying we'll never die. Should we live forever? Um, but there, it's it the could, one guarantee we have in life. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one guarantee we do have in life. But I mean, if the thing that I walk across the road and I get hit by a car today, I'd love whatever they can take from my organs at my age in life, let them take whatever they want from there. But for that to make it easier on your family and or otherwise, you need to carry the organ donor card. So ika.ie or 01620-5306. And there's many organs indeed that can be donated as well. Uh, you got the guided tour of Buckingham Palace, which I'm de- jealous about, but um, that was all part of the recovery, I take it. Well, it was it was by chance, really, and we really got the royal treatment, and it was a very, very special occasion. Sive still talks a lot about it, but one of the nurses on the ward that we were on, but just chatting to Sive when she was doing something with her um, intravenous medications, mm-hmm. and she said to Sive, what would you like to do while you're in London? And when we had been over before for the assessments, we went down to have a walk around and a look and we just looked through the railings the same as everybody else does and things like that. But it didn't, it, Sive said she'd love to see the inside of Buckingham Palace just in passing conversation. But this nurse's mother was one of the senior tour guides in Buckingham Palace and she was telling her mother about this little Irish girl that would love to see the inside and her mother went, told her manager and went along through their chain of communication and came back then. So it was a fabulous high and I really enjoyed it and uh, the you know the building itself and the, it's be- beautiful inside it. So they opened during the summer months for for um for tourists. So we were brought in because of Sive's immunosuppression and things like that. We were brought in early in the morning before they opened the palace at all. So that was a, a real treat to see the behind the scenes workings as they were well, running around, getting ready for the day and things like that as well. So it was well, very it's a, interesting and very enjoyable. It's a lovely story for you and Deirdre's family to, to be where you are today. And then in preparation for today's programme, I just googled uh, Sive um, in English and it translates as sweet lovely so it's a sweet well, a, a sweet lovely event so it is really and truly well hopefully it'll continue and thankfully you know hopefully luck will continue on our side but thankfully at the moment all is well good stuff great to talk to you again and sorry I've been there indeed to support you like you've supported me down through the years uh, but um, Patrick Brown thank you for joining us and Patrick works in the urology department of Venue Galway and is just absolutely a dose of a person and uh, goes to the nth degree to help people and has done in the past to help my mum uh, with her Parkinson's, which 
to be honest, she's flying it currently because she doesn't know she has it. Uh, but uh, thanks to him for that. Quick commercial break. We're back and we're looking indeed at the d- difficulties that those in the hotel and restaurant industry are experiencing currently. Stay tuned for that and more to come on today's programme. Don't forget, though, you can get in contact with us on 0917700077 or 53995 today if you want to get in contact with us. That's 0917700077 or 53995 if you do want to get in contact with us uh, and we're there for you uh, some calls coming in too in relation to um, the whole situation in to do with what's going on uh, along the canals uh, somebody said it's absolutely ridiculous Keith what's going on along the canals in Galway uh, really and truly just at this stage it's time for a bit of common sense uh, to kick in from there but where is common sense Finnegan this morning uh, this caller wants to know I don't know where common sense is today. Uh, now, though, let me just uh, move on today because I did say to you I wanted to move to uh, the difficulties that the hotel and restaurant industry are having when it comes to hiring people and getting people to come off the PUP and or otherwise. It's an ongoing problem. It really is an ongoing problem for them and they're finding it extremely difficult. So, uh, let us go to the telephone lines at this stage and we should have uh, Fergus O'Holloran who will be joining us in 12. Uh, while we're waiting for him to come online uh, today, let me just uh, give you some of the comments. Keith, great to hear the people uh, from Newtown Smith talking so openly and candidly and with such courage, this caller said. Uh, more society people need to speak out about living in the city centre and the situation needs to be dealt with from there. Another caller said, Keith, in relation to uh, the whole situation about drinking in the city, it is the off-licenses. You're right there. It's not the publicans. But the publicans are getting the bad name because of what the off-licenses are doing. We need to have a controlled situation when it comes to drink in this country, this caller said. And another caller said, uh, Keith, in relation uh, to Salt Hill at the weekend, it was absolutely beautiful to see Salt Hill the way it was. And I want to compliment everybody indeed uh, for what they achieved in Salt Hill at the weekend. Uh, what did they achieve? Was it a lovely weekend there? I didn't go down Salt Hill uh, this weekend. I didn't I didn't bother going down uh, Salt Hill this weekend at all because I said I'd just leave it, uh, leave it to, for, for this weekend. Now though, um, where else to go to? Uh, I was at home, cut the grass, trying to keep ahead of it. That's what I was doing. Anyway, Fergus O'Halloran joins you on the line from the 12. Uh, Fergus, uh, good morning to you. Thank you, Dee, for joining us today. Um, how difficult is morning, it to, How difficult is it getting staff and getting them to come off the PUP? Well, uh, good morning to all your listeners from Sunny Barna. Um, yes, it's, it is a, a challenge, absolutely, Keith. Uh, there was some media coverage over the weekend, and um, my concern, I guess, at the moment is that the industry is going to be left with a massive hole come September because uh, the people that we have working with us now are primarily young students, which are absolutely wonderful. Um, the hotel's been pretty well turned into a hotel training school at the moment, and um, the feedback has been overwhelming from guests. It's it's really, really positive. Um, but, you know, that gets us through the summer. Uh, what's going to happen when they all return to school in September? So we're, we're left with a, a big challenge looming, and, you know, this is what I'm experiencing in the 12. However, it's mirrored all over the country. And I know people who actually are worried that they won't be able to reopen their restaurants come July because they're experiencing the same thing tenfold. Um, 
And and, and, and is it because is of the, the is it is it because of the PUP that uh, people are not coming back to work? Is this is this where the problem um, is? The, the PUP is is one of many factors. Um, I mean, when it comes to the PUP, my my staff are frustrated. My team, you know, are frustrated in the sense of they're all at work, and at this time of year. Uh, when we're extremely busy, we would have additional team members come on board. And out of that uh, percentage of new team members that would come on board, a lot of them would be permanent so that they'd be here in the wintertime as well. Those applications are not coming in from anyone over 20 years old. Every uh, open day that we've done in the 12, um, we've had tremendous um, shows, but everybody is (laughs) 16, 17, 18. Um, so that points to something. Um, so you, you, need a, you need a steady hand. You need the experienced people and you need a steady hand on this one. Uh, well, it's look, we will always, in, in the 12, we will always take people on whether they're experienced or not. As long as they have a wonderful smile and love dealing with people and our team players, they're in. Uh, after that, we will train them. Uh, we want longevity. Now, we have very, very little turnover in the 12. We're very fortunate in that, um, but at the end of the day, we still have to have new people coming on board, and that's not what we're experiencing at the moment. Mm. Um, so it is a concern, um, but we're going to get through the next few months because all the new team members that we have taken on, they're, they're, they're absolutely wonderful, um, but they're going to be going back to school in September. Can I ask you just in relation to the okay, so the front of house and the bar staff and and that what what about kitchen staff? What about housekeeping staff? Because I mean, you, you absolutely all departments keep. Um, now, kitchen uh, kitchen, funnily enough, is one of the areas that's not a major problem at the moment. Normally, that is always the area because it was always hard to get chefs into the industry. Now, um, since the pandemic. A lot of people have made new career choices and they've left the industry. This is one of the other factors. So it's not just pop. And I'm not an expert on social welfare, but I am in the hospitality industry. And there's many reasons why people have left left the industry. You know, it is a tough industry, but it's a highly rewarding industry. You know, um, people that are in it, that have made a career out of it, have done so because it's very much a calling. Um, You know, like I, I trained with Four Seasons, and and like it's one of the the leading hospitality countries in the world, and their ethos was always about hiring the right people, and training them, you know. And if you work hard, uh, it's very very you get rewarding. Rewarded, yeah. And 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 that reward is not necessarily financial. It's it's the sense of teamwork that when you go through a day, every day is like everyone everyone has a position to play. It's a game. It's a team match. Uh, everyone has their position. There's no hierarchy. It's just everyone has a different responsibility. And if they play well in that position, at the end of the day, it's a cup final and the team wins. And every day, it's winning a cup final. And that's the wonderful thing about the industry. Um, where, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about um, uh, the industry paying low wages, minimum wages. Um, the 12 has never been like that. But that does exist in the industry. So there's there's a, a bottom hierarchy and there's a top and there's okay. everything in between. And it's in between is where the problems are occurring. Um, but people, the, the general public, Keith, 
unfortunately, um, don't understand the industry. They don't understand the margins that the industry operates on. And that's the industry's fault. I think the industry itself has been very poor at communicating costs. It's as if um, the industry wants to portray itself like a tech industry uh, that is making fabulous amounts of money, which is not the case. I mean, labour costs can, can be at 50%. Your food and beverage costs, that's the raw product is at 33%, so you're left with 17%. Now that 17%, 10% of it can be going on your rent or lease. So there's nothing left. Uh, So the industry has always relied on tips. Tips have been intertwined within the hospitality industry. That's how it's grown. Um, Ireland doesn't really have a tipping culture. No, we don't. Um, like other. You know, so do you still um, do you but, still but, have but some vacancies what, available this morning, um, Fergus? I mean, if, if people want to get in contact with you, have you vacancies? We, we, we have we have vacancies open every day for the right people. All right, Sam, Fergus. Know, come with a smile and we'll look after you. Fergus O'Holler and going through the front door of the 12 in Dedham Barnet. Thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Fergus O'Holler there, uh, Managing Director of uh, the 12. Good commercial break. We're back just after these comment lines open. Now, Brian Rohan joins me. He's the founder, indeed, of EmbraceFarm.com. And uh, again, following the success of the organisation's first ever online Remembrance Day uh, last year, indeed, uh, the Embrace Farm will host its eighth, eighth annual Remembrance Day for those affected by farm accidents. Uh, on this uh, coming Sunday, 27th of June at 2pm. And the event will be live-streamed on EmbraceFarm.com. Uh, but Brian and Norma Rohan, indeed, they're founders of Embrace. But Brian joins me on the line. Brian, morning to you. Morning, Keith. How are things? Good. Thanks for joining us today. It's important to remember that people do lose their lives on farms. Yes, indeed. Unfortunately, every year, I think we're averaging 16 a year. And um, it's also important that those loved ones are remembered. And that's one thing that we were focused on. And this, as you said, is our eight year doing it. And it's, it's so important to loved ones to hear their names being mentioned and they're not forgotten. But no more than a lot of things, and we've often spoken about this, it's a split second accident that causes the problem. Yeah, absolutely. In, in our own situation, Dad, unfortunately, mm. nine years ago, tomorrow, since we switched off life support for Dad, and at the time of the accident, I think two or three seconds he would have been clear of the machine he was taking apart just came apart sooner than expected and he got a blow to the head but like you say seconds later he would have been clear from it Yeah I, I saw somebody in, recently and they were messing on the mobile phone and they, they hit a pole um, but yeah. again it was that split second reaction and I mean they were fine that they just, just decided to put the car that they got but lives are lost That's by those split second decisions and it's not your dad's fault it's not your fault it's nobody's fault we're all we're all guilty of, of making mistakes or taking our eye off the ball or looking to the right or the left. Uh, but it's... That's his need, yeah. That's the, the bottom line is it's just a lack of attention, really. Perhaps this is part yeah, of Yeah, look, the farming has gone so, it's gone so dangerous. I suppose we're all getting busier and the weather is not always on our side. So it's just when you go at some job, it's a rush to try and get the job done. And um, it's a matter of concentrating on the job in hand at the time. Yeah. The dog's not happy with you, Brian, this morning. What did you do to the poor dog before you came on here? <laughs> she wants to get in. You let her in, with you, for God's sake, then, please, if you don't mind. <laughs> She's in now. She's in. What, what type of dog do you have? A golden retriever. Uh, she shouldn't be barking like that. She's a fine dog. So, listen, at 2 o'clock next Sunday, the 27th of June, at 2 o'clock, you're, um, 
You're live streaming this on EmbraceFarm.com. So anybody who's affected by this uh, can join in online. They can indeed. They can join in online and view it there. But if any of your listeners has lost somebody, um, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't have been the last 12 months, it could be 20, 30 years ago, if they want their name added to the list, if we haven't got it already, they can drop us an email to info at EmbraceFarm.com with the name of the, their loved one and the year they died, and they will be included in our list then as well. So, uh, info at EmbraceFarm.com. Yeah. Dot uh, com from there. Uh, and do you keep a very close eye then on figures of farm accidents and that uh, on a monthly or by uh, Look, we're always clued into it, but we never contact the family. You know, if we read in the paper that just somebody being killed in Galway last week, we don't ever contact the family. We wait for them, for the time is right for them to contact us. And that could be following week, it could be the following few months, or it could be a year or two later. We've had families contact us maybe seven and eight years after an accident. That's fine. It's, it's when they're, whenever they're ready to contact us. Okay, so again, if if you want to email, just info at embracefarm.com for further details. But the event is on next Sunday at uh, 2 o'clock. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us uh, today. And the best of luck uh, with that event. Uh, Brian Rohan joining us there on the line. Now, very good morning to you. Welcome on into Monday's programme. If you want to get in contact with us, all the usual methods, 0870-958-968 is our WhatsApp and 53995 is text. So you can just call us quite simply on um, 091-770-077. Now, Elaine Brown joins me on the line today. Elaine, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us uh, today on the programme. Now, you did write to me indeed, and you said uh, that you had set up the first peer-led centre in the west of Ireland in 2018 mm-hmm. when it comes to mental health. And a peer is uh, someone who has had mental health and is qualified to help others. So you would have suffered from mental health issues, so you can empathise with uh, those that may be listening to us this morning. Absolutely, I would have suffered for quite a lot of years, Keith, probably from national school up until my early 30s. Um, So I would have qualified then. I've I've studied many things, but my main qualification to make me a peer support worker would be through Dublin City University. And it's the idea that you can um, empathise on a deep level with people who come in and who have experienced the same thing. And did you know you were going through the mental health issues or did you think that was just normal for you going through life? Um, I probably, it's very difficult um, for a child to name what is going on. I suppose in hindsight now, I would work with a lot of children who have anxiety and some type of trauma. Um, so as a child... I didn't really know, you know, I thought I was sort of odd and a bit weird. <laughs> I thought everybody else was normal and I wasn't. Um, although the the irony of it was I went to great extremes to sort of hide it because I would have had physical manifestations of anxiety to start, like a head shake or trembling. Um, and just through the years, I would have hidden it. Um, by the time I got to fourth year in school, all right, I tried to sort of tell mom and dad because my mood got incredibly low. Um, but there was kind of nothing available back in the day. I don't think there were any counsellors sort of in my area at the time. Um, so I was just sort of bought the doctor, given the once over and kind of let go for another few years until I suppose 23 years old. Um, it got so bad I would have attempted suicide. 
And yeah. was was it so, a, was it at that point you hit the brick wall and you said, "Hold on a second, or how long more did it take um, you to to seek other it was advice? Like it, yeah, it was enduring. I, I really didn't know what to do. It was enduring it, and I just believed that i I was just weird or odd. Um, mental health wasn't really spoken about back then. I'm forty five now, which which isn't so long ago, but it wouldn't have been spoken about as much as it is now. so um by the time I got to 23, I suppose it was the lack of sleep. I would have had what would be caused by the services as psychotic episodes through extreme stress, depression. My self-esteem was really low. Um, doing something like this was not part of my character. You know, I, I would have been very quiet, a lot of social anxiety, really low confidence and an awful lot of self-hate, self-loathing. Um the capacity really to go out on a daily basis, even though I was working, was really difficult. Mm. So I just resigned. I, I suppose I had been suicidal for years. Um, and, you know, I suppose it just came to the time that I thought, actually, I don't know how to make this better. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. So, um, yeah. Where did you go? So that was, well, don't give me names. Like, Where did you go? So I would have uh, been admitted to a psychiatric hospital then because of the suicide attempt. So mm. that began my time in the psychiatric services. So I would always say that the psychiatric services, for me, and this is just my story, which I'm very grateful for, the psychiatric services kept me kept me safe and kept me alive. But really, my journey to well-being didn't start until... I left that model of care. So I would have been put on lots of medications. I would have had um, what is called electric shock treatment. Um, and, and nothing was working. Nothing was changing how I felt inside. Um, I would have left the hospital a couple of times and been re- readmitted. Um, so it was very messy for a long period of time. Um, and I suppose by the time I got to 27, for some reason, I found a little bit of hope. Something yeah. something internally sort of changed. And I don't know if it was the realization that it was only me who could do it um, with the help of, of somebody I could trust. Um, maybe it was that internal realization. But, you know, and I my parents were brought into the hospital at one stage and the doctor said to my parents, um, there's nothing else we can do. And I remember seeing the look on my parents' face. <laughs> my mom and my dad, you know, dad said it was the worst day of his life. Yeah. He drove home from the hospital and it, I don't think they spoke in the car with shock, you know. And I think when I saw their faces in the hospital that day, being told that there was nothing else that could be done, um, something also changed with that, you know. So um, did you take ownership of your uh, situation then at that stage and seek out Absolutely, it was very hard because I was still stuck in I suppose what would be called the symptoms of mental health Um, so it didn't happen overnight it was the beginning of a long journey which which I will say continues as well Um, you know obviously I've set up Yes, the first peer-led centre in the west of Ireland, which means that the only people who work here are people who have 
personal lived experience of mental health difficulties. Uh, where are you based, Elaine? Based in Clamoris in County Mayo. Just up the yeah. road. Just up the road. So it's a very sort of a central area um, for people from Sligo, Mayo. But you, but you know what you're talking about because you've been on the journey. You know, you've been, you've been there. You've been that soldier. You've seen the parents. You've seen the doctors. You've been in residential care. Um, yeah, I you understand had... the stigma. Sorry? I understand the stigma and the shame and the guilt and everything, you know, the feeling... But there should be none of that. There should be none of that. If, if right is right, there should be none of that. Because each and every one of us could, could fall under the same spell. Um, I mean, yeah. good Lord, we've spoken about the brain as an organ on this programme a million times, so we have. Um, and... Yeah. The brain controls the brain and that's it. So it's it's really by trying to make the best of it from there. Uh, you did put out a call to artists around Ireland um, in relation to getting pieces of art about mental health. That went very well for you. That was in November 2021. Was it? No, it wasn't. November 2020, I'd say, was it? November 2020, yeah. Um, I suppose last year through the pandemic, um, I... I could foresee what was ahead of us in terms of mental health. Mm. And I feel, unfortunately, that we're going to be um, having to look at mental health very differently from here on in. Because what COVID has done for people, I don't feel a pill will cure. Um, And I feel that is for young and old. So... Yes, I put out an open call for people to um, to send in pieces uh, by film, print, uh, photography, um, whatever medium they wished, um, and put together an exhibition. Um, I called it Cuckoo Clock. Um, <laughs> I was I was talking to a friend on the phone one night, and I said, "Jesus, this, this pandemic is driving me cuckoo." And then as I Googled, I found an article on a cuckoo, the cuckoo clock syndrome. And the cuckoo clock syndrome um, was based on the idea that we're um, addicted to commands, but allergic to leadership. And it was during the time that, you know, restrictions weren't sitting well with everybody. And we didn't know, I suppose, at that time we were going to hit a third and even harder. Um, yeah, a wave of a job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, and I suppose I always have a part of me that if I express creatively, it's sort of, it's really good for my mind and my emotions. So yeah, uh, loads of artists. Sorry, Keith. Where is the exhibition on and where, where can people see the exhibition? So you can come and see it here at Perspective. It's free to view. Um, in, you can in, find Claire Morris. in Claire Morris. Yeah. Um, it's open three evenings this week and as of next week it'll be open for two full weeks until the 10th of July so there are artists from all over Ireland um, uh, uh, Where are you based in Clare Morris? Uh, can I ask you, Elaine? So it's on Mount Street in Clare Morris um, which is one of the main streets in Clare Morris just off the square So Mount Street, Clare Morris is called Prospectus is that what you've called it? It's called Perspective. Yes. Perspective, okay, for further details there. So if they want so to go along. Find, so what, what, days, what days is it open this week and then two, two full weeks from when? Yeah, so it's open on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of this week. And then next week it's open Monday to Saturday, 1 to 8 p.m. Monday to Saturday.
1 to 8pm for two weeks then from there. Um, yeah, listen, well done to you. I mean, we've dealt with the mental health on this programme uh, so often and I know people that have been through the journey that you've been through and I think what yeah. you've done is absolutely brilliant because I, I find with people who've been through mental health issues uh, that it's good for them to talk to people who've been on that journey as well because then they know that they're being understood from there. Uh, but the, absolutely. the one word that just drives me absolutely wild and it came, it came, I came across it recently indeed with a friend of ours who had a family member who was suffering from mental health and when they arrived home or they went in for a cup of tea or otherwise during COVID was very tough on them uh, and the father said well you're fixed now and yeah. that's 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 not the way it works. Yeah. That's not the way it works from there. But It's not the way it works, but at the same time, like we come from a traditional model of care who would have said that like if you have mental health, you have it for life. Yeah. Whereas since setting up perspective um, and doing intentional peer support within the community and to the wider community, you actually see that peer support is a catalyst for for massive recovery and people becoming empowered and motivated and independent and confident. So in a way, the the way that we look at mental health has to change and needs to change. Urgently, because um, there isn't enough resources. Have you a number of people can call you in perspective by any chance, uh, Elaine? Yeah. Will I call it out, Keith? Please do, yeah. Yeah. 094-094. it's, well, actually, I'm giving you a mobile number because okay, that's what perfect. we work off. Okay, 08. So it's 085-729-7451. Okay. And Perspective is also on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. And there's a website there as well. So 085-729-7451 is the uh, number if you yeah. want to get, uh, give them a call. You can go through charges and all of that type of stuff with people. Uh, but I think it's great. Elaine Brown, you're an inspiration. And um, I, I'd say your family Thank are very you, happy. Keith. i say your va- family are happy for you. Unfortunately, my dad passed two years ago a cancer, Keith, and my poor mom has, has dementia. So actually, I'm highlighting dementia as well today because it's a walk in my shoes day here in 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 Ireland, I think, for yeah. dementia. So, um, I've been on that journey yeah, a few times. Yeah, it's great so to be in a space. Yeah, it's great to be in a space that I can help and support because of good. all the help and support they would have given me. You know. Listen, keep up the good work, uh, Elaine Brown. Sorry, thank you, I, I nearly turned myself off, not turn you off. Elaine Brown, thank you for joining us at 085-729-7451. What an inspiration of a wonderful person. Now, Katie has jumped out for us this morning. What have you got for us? Thanks, Million. The first one is for Irish Home Care. They're currently hiring carers in the Tomb, Lockray, Balnasloe and Castlery areas. You can head over to irishhomecare.ie to apply today. Aaron Biomedical of the following vacancies, product builder for evening shift and night shift, quality control inspector, quality engineer, senior quality engineer, manufacturing engineer, new product introduction engineer, senior new product introduction engineer and an R&D program manager. You can email hr at biomedical.com. McCambridges of Galway are hiring an accounts assistant. Two years experience in a similar role is required. You can call 091 562259 or retail at com. The Lady Gregory and Gort are currently seeking a chef de partie and an accommodation assistant. 
You can send your CV to info at ladygregoryhotel.ie. Advent Medical have vacancies for production operators in their Parkmore branch and a moulding technician and a quality technician for their Inverum branch. You can email your CV to careers at adventmedical.com by Monday the 21st of June with the job you're applying for in the subject line. Uh, Tony Burke Motors require a senior car sales executive. Interested candidates can apply with CV to careers at tonyburkemotors.ie. Careerwise Recruitment are seeking to hire product builders in Oran Moore. You can email productbuilders at careerwise.ie. Athenry Truck and Refrigeration Centre Limited have the following vacancies. Store person, qualified HGV mechanic, apprentice HGV mechanic, and further details from Rachel on 87 Pale Blue Dot Recruitment has multiple manufacturing engineering vacancies in Galway City and County. Also multiple senior R&D engineer and principal vacancies in Galway City and County, as well as multiple quality assurance vacancies, including engineer, senior engineer and manager roles across Galway City and County. And for more information, you can log on to their website, pbdrecruit.ie. To get further details, go to galwaybfm.ie for further details uh, as well there. Thank you for that. The Galway Bay FM Job Spot in association with TK Car Sales Hedford Road, Galway. A wide range of quality approved cars, jeeps and commercials for sale. Fully serviced, NCT prepared with comprehensive warranty, history checks and finance arranged. See tkcars.ie. Now, very good morning, Chair. And uh, I said at the top of the programme that uh, we'd be joined by a Galway family, indeed, who um, are looking for assistance. Um, and again, looking for assistance when it comes to a very sad... Uh, just bear with me one second. Just a very sad situation where, uh, which has come, come upon us, indeed, in the last uh, couple of days. And the McAndrew family, indeed, from Oramore in County Galway, their mum, Julia McAndrew, and their um, son, indeed, Patrick McAndrew, and um, Julia's daughter, Alishka, uh, relocated temporarily, indeed, uh, in December uh, to Mexico when things started to go a little bit wrong after a few weeks there. Um, but I'm joined on the line by Patrick McAndrew, hopefully on Zoom. There will be a slight delay on this, but it's very important uh, that we try and get this right this morning. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for joining us uh, today. You're in Mexico today. What time is it there this morning? It is a quarter past five here. I'm here in the morning. I'm here in Puerto Vallarta, which is just on the, the Pacific coast here in Mexico. Now, thanks for getting up this hour of the morning over there. But um, you temporarily relocated, indeed, just prior to Christmas of last year uh, to Mexico. Uh, Julia, yourself and uh, Elishka, you went for work and they went to spend Christmas with you there. And um, the, fir- the initial experience was good. Yeah, well, yes, uh, the, the excitement was good, I could say. So I, I was coming out here for work and I invited them to come along with me to spend Christmas so that we could spend Christmas together as a family. But uh, there was great excitement leading to the fact of coming out here. But pretty much as soon as we landed in Mexico City, mum's um, health just got very bad. She had to get a wheelchair out of the airport that evening. It was It was like a 24-hour journey. And um, it was it was a real surprise to us. We we thought that it was maybe something just off the back of the flight, which was uncommon. Uh, that she felt really unwell with that. But her her Ill, she she started to her energy was declining consistently. Then throughout the trip, we we thought that she was she was just showing some signs of weakness, and she would rebound. Um, and 
all things kind of started to decline. So she started to get acid reflux. So we we found a gastroenterologist here. They treated her for that. Um, then we made the decision that she was going to stay here in Mexico. She was not going to go back to Ireland. She would stay here with me um, while she would try and get better. And, because uh, she, 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 she wouldn't have been able for the trip home at that stage. But I mean, for sure. <clears throat> sorry, yeah. Julia, Julia McAndrew, your mom. I mean, Julia yeah. tra- had traveled the world. I mean, travel was nothing to her. So this must have been quite a shock to you. Yeah, this was a huge shock, you know. Well, when that, that first time that we got out of the airport and she asked for the wheelchair, we were gobsmacked, you know. It was, uh, it was a real shock to me and my sister to think that she wouldn't even be able to walk out of this airport. So that was, you know, th- th- there were alarm bells there for sure. But because uh, she's a very strong and resilient woman, we thought, oh, this must just be something which she'll bounce back from. But the last six months have shown us that it's been a, a steady decline of her health. So you met the gastroenterologist, you went through the whole, the, the medical process uh, in Mexico and then she decided to stay with you and she felt stronger. But then things took another turn and things got worse. Yeah, so then her her energy started to get really low, um, even with the, the medications and the treatment that she was getting from a gastroenterologist. And uh, she had to get blood transfusions. We had to bring her to the hospital at some point to get blood transfusions because she couldn't sleep. She, she couldn't really do anything while she was awake. She was just in, in an extremely weak position. Uh, so she got some blood transfusions. At the time, the hospital had diagnosed that she had anemia because she was losing a huge amount of weight. Over the last six months, she'd lost uh, nearly two stone in weight and she hasn't. She, she was definitely not overweight to begin with. Mm. Um, and from the blood transfusions, there was an improvement. There was a great improvement. And we, we had a huge amount of hope from that. And that lasted for about a month and a half. Um, her energy was very high. She even took a yoga course, which is really amazing to think about it once we eventually got the true diagnosis of what her illness was. Um, but after about a month and a half, the impact of that blood trans- transfusion started to wear off and her energy declined again. And this brought us to around April and she returned for another blood transfusion. But this time it didn't have the same impact. And between April and the end of May, it had just been a steady decline where she was losing more weight. She was she was struggling to move. She was struggling with her energy. So we, we visited some other doctors until uh, about two weeks ago, we came to Mexico City to meet some oncologists where you know we got the, the ultimate uh, message from them. And what stage of cancer has Julia got currently, Patrick? So they diagnosed her with stage four cancer. She had breast cancer 10 years ago. And from their diagnosis, they saw that the breast cancer had returned and uh, had moved into her lymph nodes. She also, it has spread also to both of her lungs, to her bone marrow in the pelvic area and the bone marrow on the right side of her body and her ribs. And that indicated why she was anemic and losing so much weight because she isn't producing red blood cell count. She isn't producing hemoglobin, red blood Mm. cells. And um, on top of that, when she arrived there, she had uh, chronic kidney disease as well. And that was was both the cause of, of the cancer, which was affecting her. So it was... It was a pretty pretty severe diagnosis to receive, um, especially somewhat on the other side of the world. 
You're a long way from more and more, Patrick, so you are. A long way from more and more, Keith. Yeah, yeah. The environment is very different there, I must say. Um, but at least the weather is good, though. It is. Um, but, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, the uh, treatment is quite expensive. So you you have set up a GoFundMe page uh, for that. Um, again, you're trying to raise a lot of money, but you, you need help on this one. Yeah, for sure we do. Uh, the, the, we, we had to raise a GoFundMe. We, you, all of this had been quite expensive, even up to this point, to meet doctors and get tests, but we were paying for it all out of pocket. And then once we got the diagnosis and realised what the course of treatment was going to be, it was it was really very expensive. Uh, treatment happened in three-week cycles, and it would cost us about 40,000 US dollars every three weeks for the treatment cycles. So at this moment in time, she's even too weak to receive uh, any any bit of chemotherapy or any uh, forms of direct treatment like that. Her body really needs to be built up. And that's what we've been working on, trying to get her to a position where she's strong enough to start receiving some treatment. So we put together this GoFundMe to help support that, to support that cause. And the response has been incredible, uh, like really so uplifting and overwhelming for us on the other side of the world to see how much support has come from home, how much support has come from people who we we know, but people who we haven't spoken to in a long time. It's it's been such a beautiful thing to to experience and see how incredibly important your community is. Oh, yeah. uh, but we have to we have to continue the fundraising efforts. Uh, we put it up about a week ago, and we do need more support because we do unfortunately have to raise more money to for her treatments because it's it's more than what we have raised, and it's more than you can afford. Unfortunately, I mean, money it's, runs out very yeah. quickly in a situation uh, like this. I mean, what's the have the doctors given you a long term prognosis in relation to treatment? And the outcome, and is Julia? Is she mom? Is she too weak to to come home at this stage and try and get some treatment here? She is too weak to come home at this time. So, really, it's it's yeah. They have given us an outlook, uh, but what we have to look at is is trying to build up her body because if we can't get it, if we can't get her body to a level of strength and well-being, um, and we can't really do much with the levels of treatment which are available to us. So we've we've come to a place which are specialising in, in treating advanced cancer patients, and, and their focus is on trying to build up her body with the right vitamins, with the right nutrients, a lot of drips, um, different types of treatments which can hopefully regenerate some of her body so that she can be in a position to receive treatment. So what we're doing at the moment is we're kind of operating on three-week cycles, three week mm-hmm. to a month cycles. Uh, she just began a treatment cycle at the middle of last week. And we will know by within a month to know what position she's in, how she's recovered from that. And from there, we'll have to make a decision. Um, there is the possibility that she might look to return home, but we have to make sure that she can be strong enough for that. And that's quite a bit away just yet because, because of how weak she is. And is mom in hospital currently? She is in a clinic, so she's in, she's in a clinic and she's with me in an apartment. We bring her there every day for treatment and then she comes back and she stays here. God love her. I mean, I've known you for a long, I know you since childhood, I know you since you were a child. I've yeah. mom indeed and Delishka, uh, so we have, uh, but it's a terrible situation you find yourself in, Patrick. 
It is. It is. Uh, there is a silver lining here, just that there is for the type of treatment which she needs right now in terms of rebuilding her body with this type of cancer. We are blessed to be here because uh, there are some incredible treatments here available to us. And a lot of people from that travel from around the world, even in speaking with the the consulate in Mexico City, uh, this happens sometimes that Irish people will travel over here directly for treatment. So in that sense, we feel blessed because little did we know that she had stage four cancer leaving Ireland. You know, this has been with her for quite a while. This has been with her for, they suspect, about five or six years, but we just were completely unaware of it. So mm. it's it's very tough to be here and to be so far away from home and, and, and to have to keep everybody updated because her brothers and sisters and her cousins are so worried in a sense yeah. of course they are because and they're so far away and they don't distances the in the middle yeah. day okay. to day so that is tough uh, but on the other end of things we feel extremely blessed to be here where we have the opportunity to to try and, and help her overcome this illness um, and she's been so positive she's experiencing pain and discomfort but she rarely speaks about it she's constantly focusing on healing that's all she wants to focus on is her well-being and um, it's it's a real inspiration to be around her because I can't even begin to think about what she's going through on an hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute basis. Mentally, yeah. Yeah, mentally, mentally physically, the whole lot. Yeah, okay. it's just uh, it's a beacon of positivity to be around. Well, little did you realise prior to Christmas, and I envied you, by the way, when I heard that you were heading <laughs> off to Mexico for Christmas. I think you were the last flight to Heathrow and you were the last flight from Heathrow to uh, Mexico. I said, how, yeah. is, how is it that, uh, look, and I, and I did, I might as well be honest with you, Patrick, I did envy you uh, the uh, trip out, but then for it to turn so pear-shaped within 24 hours, indeed, of, um, and just as you arrived into Mexico, uh, it's, it's just tough not knowing that that was the case when you were going there. So, listen, if people want to go to, it's very simple, if you go into GoFundMe, uh, quite simply support Julia McAndrews Stage 4 Cancer Treatment, it's there. Uh, some people, as Patrick has said, have been extremely generous, but They've a, they've a long way to go, so they have in this fundraising. Can the government, do you know, Patrick, do anything? You've spoken to the consulate, but can the government in any way help out? Because mom can't come home. There can't be a medivac because she's not strong enough. Can they do anything uh, else? So, yeah, just on the GoFundMe, just if people, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, GoFundMe, GoFundMe.com. If people search for Julie McAndrew, you will, you will see it there. And with regards to government support, we have reached out to them about this. Uh, typically, their mandate or limitations on their support is within the EU. Um, but we are exploring options of, of how they could maybe extend the support beyond that. So um, if they could, it would help us enormously. But we will see. That's still yet to be explored. Patrick, keep strong. If uh, Just mind yourself and mind Alishka and mind uh, Julia as well. That's um, Patrick McAndrew joining us. Uh, they're from Mexico where he's working and his mom went with them for Christmas. And unfortunately, she arrived off the plane and wasn't feeling the, the, the very best. And uh, currently it's in stage four cancer. Will you please, if you can at all, whatever donation you can make, would you mind going to the GoFundMe page from there and uh, make a donation, if you can at all, a fiver, a tenner, a thousand 20,000, whatever you can give, whatever people can give, would you do so? And would you do it today, please? Because another round of treatment starts and they need the money for that. And my heart goes out to them. I've known them for a long, long number of years. Uh, said since Patrick was a child, I've known him, but uh, our thoughts are with them all today, to be quite honest. Quick commercial break. We're back just after these. And Julia, by the way, is from Ornmore in County Galway, just in case I didn't say it. (laughs) 
Now let us go to the first citizen of Galway, our brand new mayor, and our first new mayor in two years indeed. And I want to go to uh, Mayor uh, Colette Connolly, who joins me on uh, the line. Mayor, good morning to you. Good morning, Kate. Congratulations. History in the making, yourself and your sister indeed. Uh, the only <laughs> the only sisters that I remember indeed. I remember Bridie Flaherty and Terry and that and others. But uh, congratulations. You took uh, the reins on Friday afternoon last. I did, Kate. Thanks. Thank you very much. And Rudders on a fist in took. So it's a rare, a rare occasion. And it's to be enjoyed, you know. So it's more an honour than Mavera Nagaliva. So it's an honour and a privilege. And I'm actually looking forward to the role, uh, you know, and uh, I suppose having been Deputy Mayor three times now, this is, you know, a real honour. And it's a privilege. And um, I'm looking forward to representing the people of Galway. Um, you know, as you know, it's largely a symbolic role. You know, we have very little power as mayors compared to other European uh, cities. But uh, nevertheless, you know, I intend to work and represent this wonderful city to the best of my ability, you know. And I'm very proud of Galway, very proud of the county. And we have an awful lot to offer as a very small city, Keith. And despite all the problems with traffic and other issues, it is nevertheless a wonderful city to live in and to work in, you know. And I've lived abroad in many of the big cities and uh, there's no place better than Galway. You know. There isn't. It's a, we have a great city, so we have. And we have, I mean, yeah. the s- situation is that you're coming in at a good time. Uh, please God, we'll see the lifting of the COVID uh, from there. And it may be simple, you know, the whole the, the symbolic situation of the mayor. But you, I mean, the mayor is held in very high respect uh, within the city and the county and the country. Indeed, the mayor of Galway. It's. it's uh, you say it's a great honour, and it is a great honour. But I mean, it's uh, there's also a body of work that you have to get done because you have to chair the meetings on an ongoing basis. Absolutely, Keith. I, I think the mayors are only second uh, to the president of Ireland, so it's rather daunting, really, you know. But um, I have lots of experience, as you know, since being elected in 2004. Um, yes, the meetings will be are extremely onerous, and I think that people probably um, aren't aware of how many hours councillors put in um, whether it's meetings or research or reading the documentation to be prepared for a meeting and it's particularly onerous now because we are in the process of reviewing the city development plan so we have many many additional meetings um, and I think sometimes people forget that we are part time you know councillors but most councillors are there um, to try to do their best and hopefully you know as, as a unit, there are many challenges now post-COVID. I, I'm saying post-COVID. One hopes that the lockdown will be lifted soon. But uh, hopefully we can make progress and work together. Um, maybe COVID has shown us, you know, that there are many alternative ways of doing things and that their opportunities might present themselves um, moving forward, you know, mm. to develop Galway and expand Galway. You know, Galway, as you know, is a bilingual city. And as mayor, I certainly, you know, would be supporting the principal objectives of Galway, you know, to cultivate a sense of community ownership of the the Irish language, you know. And as a a councillor, I've always promoted Galway as a city of equals, which was one of the principal objectives of the City Development Board. Um, 
that I was chair of, which was an uh, inter-organisational approach, the HSC, the guards, uh, all the sectors were represented. And mm. I suppose Galway has, is, is a unique city in the sense that, you know, as you know, 20% are, are non-Irish. Uh, and we have a long way to go to make Galway a more inclusive city, particularly for people with disabilities. Um, so again, as mayor, I would see my role as well as promoting Galway as a very inclusive city. Um, I think we can have new imaginative and creative uses for our open spaces. I'd love to see Galway um, declared as a national park. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see uh, an immediate ad- advancement of park and ride facilities. I think they're essential. You know, I'd also like to see the feasibility study for very light rail in Galway. I think that's essential. Um, and as a cyclist and pedestrian, we've made progress, Keith, in 20 years, but not enough. Yeah. And I think we have a long way to go to make Galway just that. And maybe just with the climate action, uh, climate um, <clears throat> uh, crisis that we do, um, have to look at, at doing things differently, you know, and we're promoting cycling and walking, but with that we need to invest in the infrastructure as well. Yeah. So... No, it's, know, it's, it's a huge honour, and I mean, you're from a large family, so you'll have... Uh, this, you're, you're representing a, a really iconic family indeed in, in Golu <laughs> City Circles. I mean, there's a, there's a large amount of you in it, so there is... Yeah, uh, well, 14 is no small number <laughs> as number 13 <laughs> everyone was better than me so You've it's nice a... to get that top job you know, well, so. and it's good to have the support of all so it really is but it's, we look forward to yeah. working with you for the year it's it's uh, it's uh, going to be a good please God it's going to be a good year it'll be a great year for tourism uh, and uh, hopefully I hope so yes. hopefully I hope get so through. in July we may see a relaxation um, in the, the restrictions, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly I'd love to acknowledge, you know, my parents and though they've passed and my stepmother, you know, they were a huge, huge support to me and without them, without their sacrifices um, to allow us to have an education, I, I wouldn't be here today. Well, so, you know. well we, say, we, we, we wave at them today and we send a, a positive yeah, thought to them today. Yeah. Uh, mayor Colette Connolly, thank you so much for joining uh, us on today's programme. We look forward to working with the Mayor uh, right throughout the year as well. And she mentioned, they're a great troop of people there. They really and truly are a wonderful troop of people that work extremely hard. Uh, but thank you indeed to, to Mayor Colette Connolly for joining us on the programme. Quick commercial break. We're back just after these. <laughs> have received letters of commendation for their role in the complex rescue and it really was and I remember we covered it on the programme at the time uh, but let me go to the, John Britton who's the Lifeboat uh, Operations Manager of uh, Clifton RNLI and he joins me on the line. John, morning to you. Good morning Keith. You don't really know once you get up in the morning time to when you go to bed at night time you don't know what's going to come your way really do you? <laughs> no, not at all um, and thankfully we've been quite quiet for the last last couple of months uh, but that's uh, that's a blessing I think It is but it goes back to uh, the crew indeed who went out on September the 20th 2019 and what they came upon wasn't very pleasant No indeed it wasn't no um, it was um, a lone yachtsman uh, who got himself into a, a pretty tricky situation he was um, on passage 
uh, in, on a, a fairly stiff wind, southerly about force seven, gusting up to gale force eight. And uh, it was blowing onto the shore of Inish Shark Island. That's the next door island to Inish Boffin. It's uninhabited. And uh, it's a bad shore. It's, a, it's, a, it's cliffs and rocks, and really there's no safe uh, landing spot on it at all. And as he was passing by, I think he was under engine, and as he was passing by this wind blowing onto the shore, uh, he got swamped a couple of times by waves, and eventually the water uh, put out his engine. The engine stopped, and uh, he was up on the rocks in a twinkling. And uh, he managed to get word to the Coast Guard, who tasked us, to send the boat and uh, we sent our we have two lifeboats in Clifton we have an all-weather lifeboat which is it, it, it does what it says on the tin goes out in any any weather and then we have a smaller boat with a, a, a rib a lot of people would be familiar with what a rib is and it's a it's a very fast yoke it does 35 knots and we can get it into the water very quickly so we're launched usually within 10 minutes of the pagers going off and uh, that's what we did on this occasion. We sent the rib, and um, we sent after it the, the bigger boat, the all-weather boat, to provide a bit of top cover for him. And uh, when the rib got to the scene, uh, he found it a pretty nasty situation. Was, the waves breaking onto the cliffs and the rocks, were, uh, were, and the boat was well-grounded on the rocks and getting smashed to pieces. Uh, the man, the, the casualty, had managed to get out of the, get himself ashore, drag himself out of the yacht, and he was wet and cold. And uh, he also, we found out later, he got a bang on the head whilst he was getting out of the boat. Uh, but our lads decided, well, that we've got to put somebody ashore to see what condition this man is in. They didn't know, you see, mm-hmm. and uh, they had to use a manoeuvre called veering down, which is. Uh, something we do a lot in practice, but we don't really want to have to use it in for, for real, as it were, but they had to use it on this occasion. And what it means is you put out your anchor and you let the boat in on the anchor rope in towards the shore and you let it, let it out foot by foot until you get exactly the right amount out and one of your crewmen can jump from the boat onto the rocks. And that's what they did. And it's a it's an operation that requires a lot of training and uh, all four crewmen are involved in it and concentration and all the rest of it. And it has plenty of plenty of opportunities to go wrong. Good. And uh, the, the, the results can be bad if, if it goes wrong on you. But we managed it. The lads managed it. It, it worked well. And, and I know uh, you had to bring got, in Rescue 118 from Sligo then as well uh, to yeah, watch the casualty. Yeah, he was tasked as well. That's the Rescue 118 is the helicopter. Yeah. And he was tasked. And uh, our crewman, when he got ashore, found that the... The Osman wasn't wasn't too bad. He was in a you know reasonably fit, uh, other than being wet and with the bang on the head. Helicopter was on the way, so we our lifeboats stood off, and uh, the helicopter arrived and winched him on on board, along with our crewman, mm-hmm. and took him took the casualty to Castlebar Hospital where. I think he was later discharged without having to, uh, he wasn't admitted or anything. So then the, the commendation then was given to uh, Alvin Bell, his uh, father Andy Bell, Ian Shanahan and Alan Price. Uh, so, I mean, the significance of getting a letter of commendation like this? Well, it's, it, they don't give them out easily. Uh, the, our station is, is in existence since the early 80s, or sorry, the, the late 80s. And I think we've had letters resulting from about six services. This is the sixth. 
So we, they don't come very easily. They, you know, you have to do something pretty outstanding to well, merit one. I, I, and, this was, and the four lads you mentioned got them, and we also got one for the for the rest of the crew because it was a very much a joint effort. There was shore crew involved in getting the boat out so quickly, and the crew of the ALB were on standby as well. Well, thank God for all. Um, was the boat written off then, John, was it? Well, yes, indeed. I mean, I was out fishing the next day along that area, and the um, the boat had disappeared. Well, he was wasn't written off. It wasn't there anymore. It was smashed to pieces, and the, was, the sea had taken it away. He was so lucky. John Britton, thanks for joining us. And do do remember, indeed, the RNA Life when you're fundraising as well. Uh, but John Britton, indeed, uh, Lifeboat Operations Manager with Clifton RNA Life, joining us on the line there. And again, if you want to get further details, go on to the uh, website there and get further details. But well done to the uh, four crew people, indeed, crew people, the volunteers, all volunteers. Alvin Bell, his father Andy Bell, Ian Shanahan, and Alan Price. Congratulations to all. Now, quickly and briefly, I want to go to back to a lady called Claude Bly that joined me uh, a few months ago, indeed, on the programme, and we had a good old chat, so we did. And it's all to do with the Pathfinder programme, indeed, improving your life. And uh, she joins me on uh, the line today. Claude, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today. I have a lovely new publication, which I'm told has been launched today. Yes. Hi, Keith. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, and would you believe it's actually a year since we spoke last? Is it? So, very, very quick year. Is it? Is it? You were on a hell of a journey and you told us about that journey. But talk to me about this production then that has come out of this indeed. What is the Pathfinder programme? Yeah, so I suppose this, it was actually this day three years ago that I was diagnosed with cancer. So, during that journey, um, I was working on this Pathfinder programme, which is a simple, practical self help workbook. And it um, can help you to look at where you are in your life right now in all segments of your life and what you might want to focus on. Think about what you love doing, what is important to you, what are you great at. And then with that information, you basically come up with a plan on a page um, that gets yourself on the best path for you. So it's what, you're, what you love doing and leave um, So it's a workbook and you can come back to it again and again in the months or years ahead in line with different chapters of your own life. So I am a qualified coach as well as a professional. So it's along those lines of coaching. So, I mean, quite simply, you're looking at the wheel of life. You're working at work and career, physical environment, significant others. Uh, you're looking at money. You're looking at all of those type of things. And um, it's a timeless program, effectively. Yeah, and you're also looking back at all your at your life, celebrating all of your successes, remembering how amazing you are, what achievements you have already gained throughout your life what are you ta- what are your talents what do you wish to do to be and to have in your life and um, throughout your lifetime and then it does involve setting some goals to take action steps then to achieve those goals and uh, looking at things like time management and nuisances within your life and just getting things done in a practical way so it's, it's very practical and um, self-help and timeless and when, when I'm looking at it here, I'm looking at um, the uh, takeaways and all of that. I mean, th- there's so there's so much within it, to be quite honest, uh, Clodagh. Uh, it, it is, and it's not something you do overnight either. So that's No, and you wouldn't want it. to consume it overnight either because you'd, you'd have yourself driven, demented, having failed here or <laughs> failed there or failed otherwise. So I think you have to take it in the relevant chunks that you're able to deal with at the time. Absolutely. It might be literally one segment of your life that you take months to work on. So it's really, it is very good. It's thought provoking and it's reflective. But again, it's it's you map out whatever you want to focus on. It may be just one segment of your life at the moment. Everyone's coming out now of lockdown, I think. And some people, you know, have unfortunately lost jobs. There's lots of different uh, scenarios where I can see people using it. And the last time we were on, people reached out as well. So this, I suppose, has 
been improved in the last year so that it's bigger, it's better, it's simple, uh, lots of room for writing your notes, it touches, you know, the touch and the feel of it is lovely. And um, so I've been working with the National Breast Cancer Research Institute and that's where Professor Michael Caron, he took care of me during my journey. So this is a way for me to give back and they've, very, they've worked very hard and got, got it up on the shop on their website. So it is available now for purchase, but 100% of uh, profits will go towards the National Breast Cancer Research so that's for research uh, for positive outcomes. It's beautifully printed, it's beautifully put together, so it is, I have to say. Where, where did you say, they, so can they go to the NCBI website and uh, yeah, buy it from there? It's a, they can, of course. So it's available uh, to buy online and it's breastcancerresearch.ie uh, forward slash shop. Or um, they could simply, if someone wants to ring, they could ring 091 So that's Jen in the office there. But it is available for purchase online. Um, again, because I can't believe it's three years ago today that you were diagnosed with cancer. And here we are yes. again talking about but the Pathfinder programme isn't just about cancer, it's about life. It's about living life, but it's about life. Absolutely. And I suppose when I think back, it, it took me nine months. So I went through treatment for eight months. Uh, I was back in work already in, in the ninth month. So it's just a time when you're literally in zero gear. You know, in work, you're in fifth, sixth gear all the time. So it just gave me that time to actually reflect on my own life. And that's why I've used this and tried, tested, tweaked. And you just have that opportunity to stop, to smell the roses, to think about what you're passionate about, to take up hobbies that you left behind. And so I did an awful lot of that on my journey. And it just made me realize, you know, what is it that brings you joy in your life? And sometimes we just get on this treadmill of life that we keep going and non-stop, you know, not stopping. So I've taken a week off now myself this week just to actually stop and think of how far I have come. Uh, because it has been a, now a great journey with lots of blessings and you know we got through it and, and there was a successful outcome for me uh, fortunately so you know I'm very grateful and I think this is just a, it's a way to remember what you've already achieved in your life as well and not forget that. But I think um, the for some people not for all but for some people I think uh, the um, whole pandemic gave them that chance uh, they experienced working from home they experienced being you know being at home at five o'clock even when they finished their day's work and being with the family straight away I, th- I think a lot of people have kind of said to themselves god we really do need to cha- change the the way we look at life yes yeah absolutely and then some people want to have that separation where you have that time you know, in the future, we're, we're, you know, I work in SAP and our whole future model is going to be a hybrid model where you can work at home or in the office. But I think some people then they miss that journey to work where you can sort of switch off from the day's work when you're coming home to your family or just set yourself up for the day when you're driving to work. So yeah. it's a bit of both. Um, but it's absolutely, definitely, I think people have realized how important it is to have that balance. And it's not really, we don't really call it work-life balance anymore. It's simply life balance because, you know, the two do intertwine a lot. They do, they do, they intertwine, but it's it's kind of having that, says he, who doesn't have a delicate balance at all, uh, but it's, it's, it's having that delicate balance. Yeah. Um, like I would normally come in on a Sunday evening for a few minutes into the office just to check things for tomorrow, but I made a conscious decision yesterday not to do it and to cook dinner yeah. at home for last night. There but you it, go. T- it was me that made that conscious decision that I said, if I go in earlier in the morning, what I wanted to get done last night, I can get done, get done the morning when I get in. Absolutely. And that's it, because once you start working through these thoughts and balance, you know, it's a subconscious that kicks in. And like that, you might be sitting on the couch with your feet up and I say, do you know what? I haven't walked the dog yet. I'm not going to sit down yet. I'm going to go out for my 
hour of exercise, fresh air. So that's what it's about. It's about making those little, every single decision. So whether it's 1% change that you make in your life, be it every day, every month, every year, when you add them all up at the end of the year, you can see, you know, like that, those choices that you make that can you know, improve your life. And it can be such a, a small thing. of 1% change will make a huge difference. Well, you have to, like we've decided since we can go somewhere that we take each and every Saturday off. So there's no grass cutting, there's no shopping, there's no nothing. Uh, we take every Saturday off and it's only go for a walk or go for a spin or we sit down yeah. and read the paper. We, that The conscious decision we've made in the last six or eight weeks, whenever we could Brilliant. travel outside the 5K, is that we just take the Saturday off. End of story. A lot From life. I mean, from yes. family, from everything. Family time. Just, yeah, well, just take it off. Take it off from there. Listen, where can this, so if they want to ring uh, the National Breast Cancer Research Institute, 0918639171, uh, Claude. Yeah, or breastcancerresearch.ie, and it's available to buy online now on their shop. All right. Uh, and again, 100% of the profits go to research for breast cancer research. Okay, well, listen, keep up the good work. Keep in contact uh, with so us. Much, it's, be- it's beautifully done, so you're, it's credit to you and uh, the team that worked with you on it, indeed, from a printing point of view. Claude Burke. Uh, sorry, Claude Bly there joining us indeed with Pathfinder uh, programme and if you want to get further details on that, improving your life, you can get so from the, get it from the following number 0918639117 that's 0918639117 there I went to, uh, Keith, just say I went for a pint yesterday, you interviewed me last year regarding pubs and afraid to socialise, just like to say I'm no longer afraid of Covid and I headed out yesterday and I had a pint and I enjoyed it uh, Keith, congrats uh, to uh, Colette uh, Connolly, wishing her all the best as mayor. And that comes from Marion. And Keith, what is the position of restaurants serving drink with food outside their premises? Uh, if they are allowed, what is the difference between pubs and them? And uh, Keith, our daughter is coming home in August and her grandson, she's fully vaccinated. So do they have to quarantine or what can she do? We'll try and go back to that tomorrow morning because we're getting a lot of calls about people coming in from the UK and the USA. Um so we'll do a piece on that uh, tomorrow morning. Meanwhile, that is it for today. We're back at you live from Studio One tomorrow morning, just after the nine o'clock news. If you want to get in contact with us, you can do so. Just email kfshow at goldbergbfm.ie or simply call Siobhan 0917700077 during the day. That is it for Monday. The sun has gone in just for a little while. It'll be out later on in the day. Katie produced uh, today. Siobhan did take your comments. Until we join you live from Studio One tomorrow morning just after the 9 o'clock news. Have yourselves a good and a safe Monday morning and Monday afternoon and Monday night. And uh, join us tomorrow just after the news. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.